Like the first game, I don't have a lot of in-depth thoughts on this one. You know what I do have? A lot of enjoyment. If I was to describe this game in brief, I would say it's kind of like you took Max Payne 1 and did everything better. Like, the camera's better, the movement's better, the level layout is better, the level design is better, the overall pace of the gameplay is better, the audio design is better, there's better audio direction in general, especially to the little comic book cutscenes. In fact, one of the first things I heard about this game was they use actual you know, animations for some of the cutscenes. My first reaction was, no! No, not, don't get rid of the comics! Thankfully, they didn't get rid of the comics, which are being done better, of course. Let's see, what else are they doing better? Shotguns are better. They also do a better slowdown thing, because the slowdown thing actually regenerates over time, but more to the point, when you do the dive, not only does it feel much better, in fact, I'll go ahead and admit something here, I had to actually ask if it was even in the first game, because I don't remember it being this awesome in the first game at all. It's also been like a year and a half since I played the first game. The point remaining, but still, I found myself doing that, like, constantly. Alright. Okay, let's see. There's some enemies in the hallway. Jump in and dive! Oh, oh there's some enemies down through the... Jump over and dive! Just, just constantly, and it never actually got boring. My favorite two guns to do it were with the shotgun. If I was, like, in an indoors area, and I know there's enemies, like, right on the other side of the door. Shotgun in the face. I shouldn't shoot them in the face. They're not Nazis. But, you know, I shotgun them, nonetheless. Or if it's a longer area, like the parking lot area is a good example. That one's like, sniper rifle. It's a fun game. What do you want from me? Um, I also like how... I wasn't sure I was going to like it at first, but I do like the rubber band difficulty. I've said before that rubber band difficulty is something you have to be really careful with and how you use it, but I think it worked out well here. Anytime I found myself having any significant issues, all of a sudden, you know, that hey, here's an extra healing item, or hey, the AI, you know, is going to be a little stupider for a few minutes, you know. It, it helped, the, 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 the dynamic difficulty, for lack of a better way to put it, helped. Obviously, this is a first playthrough, so I didn't have any difficulty options selected. I also didn't get the secret ending. But I also loved how much little stuff was in the game. Like, there's this one bit I'll never forget where they're watching TV, and I think they're watching Lords and Ladies, which is just constant. Apparently, everyone in the frickin' city watches this show. And I go over, and I can turn the TV off, and they're like, Hey! And turn it right back on, and I can just get in their way, and they're like, what are you doing? Hey, and I'm like, oh, God, sorry. I, was, I didn't realize that was you would react to that. There's a lot of little details like that, which is another way this game is better than the first. It feels more polished. I also have to admit, I spent a weirdly large amount of time just enjoying little side things, like Dick Justice, or the, aforefen the aforementioned Lords and Lady, and, of course... Uh, there's this wonderful bit where oh, I don't, it's it's at like the second apartment complex you go through, and you, and, and you go through. It's when you right. It's not that too long after you get the shotgun. I want to say, from the old lady who's just I guess she's not that old, but you know the the mid middle aged lady. It doesn't sound the same. Hey, thanks for the shotgun, ma'am. And there's a janitor just just scrubbing the wall. If you just stand there, he'll just start singing, and keep singing. And they, the, the developers of this game actually sat down and had this guy kind of pseudo-hum sing basically this entire song. One of the things that I tend to appreciate most in any fiction is attention to detail. 
I'm the kind of guy who appreciates the detail that doesn't need to be there. It doesn't have to be there. It's basically wasted, if we're being honest. But it helps to flesh out or add to a work for me, right? You know, it's it's the old... I guess that's probably partially because I grew up in the 80s and 90s, where in a video game, if you talk to an NPC or if you interacted with a thing, it was significant because they could only put so much stuff in the game, right? So I grew up appreciating games that didn't do that. And I guess it's more the norm now, but I really loved the attention to detail in this one. The AI henchmen were kind of interesting. One of the things that amuses me, and this applies to Vinny himself, is that Vinny's gangsters were severely downgraded to bumbling mooks. There's this great part where it's like, hey, I'm, I'm your... I'm your support. Okay, let's go. Should we go? I don't know. Maybe we shouldn't do that. They're just, they're just kind of being pathetic, but in that uniquely humorous kind of way. Which brings me to another thing this game does better than the first one. This game is ridiculous. It's not full-on parody. Like, I'm not playing Spaceballs the game. But it's, I'd say, one step away from full-on parody. This game, the first game obviously embraced the cliches and embraced the noir thing. This game embraces it and then puts it up on a pedestal and then sings a little dance as, as, as you're staring at it. It is so absolutely ridiculous at every, at every point that I love it. Um, I also have to admit there's this great bit uh, where you play as Mona. I'm sorry, I'm saying this in the wrong order. The The Mona thing was actually not that great. I was actually hoping for more than that. No, the great bit is when you're escorting Vinny himself. And he's got this giant outfit with the clown shoes. And it's already ridiculous. And it's helped by Vinny's voice actor, who is, you just sound so pathetic. Oh my God, pain, pain, you gotta help me, Max. Oh God, no. And then when he's walking around, his shoes go... Squeak, squeak, squeak. I, I can't do it, but you, you could probably picture it, right? Squeak, 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 squeak. And it's at that point, it's, you're just like, yeah, okay. <laughs> Got it. We're not even going to try to be serious about that. You know what? I'm in favor of that. Flash Gordon effect. If you're going to do it, embrace it. I do have to say, while we're on the gameplay axis here, I have one last thing about to say about the gameplay, other than the fact that the shotgun and the sniper rifle were awesome. And that's the fact that I really actually enjoyed the final boss. Usually in games like this, final bosses either don't make sense or they have something to make them a final boss, like a helicopter. You know, the GTA standard, right? In this case, the final boss was actually trying to defeat the terrain while Vlad had free reign to attack you as much as he wanted to. And I could go into some kind of big spiel about how we were breaking down the chains of the church upon humankind or the bit. No, no, no. It's just a way to make a final boss fight. It worked out well. Story-wise, well, I've got to be honest. I don't have a lot to say story-wise because I've kind of already talked about the story without really meaning to. It's a cliche-ridden, glorious mess. I, in fact, I wouldn't mind replaying this game. Um, it, it even starts, it literally starts on a dark and stormy night. Just, just for God's sakes. I'm um, looking at my notes here. I mentioned the audio design already. No chance. What? Sorry, I'm trying to read my own handwriting. I have such terrible handwriting. <laughs> I just, sorry. So, I, I guess we'll, we'll just kind of hammer these points really quickly here. So please forgive me for like the next five minutes of rumination. First of all, 
I do like how they use the, the remnants of the gangsters from the first game as a way to establish the big villains of this game. I have to admit, walking into it, I assumed this was going to be leading up to the inner circle. And I have to admit, I was pleased at being completely wrong about that. You know, Vinny is, of course, very comedic. I actually wrote down a Captain Baseball Bat Boy. That was it. Um, <laughs> but Vinny and his gangsters are so comically inept that it makes the cleaners look far more deadly by comparison. But the cleaners aren't actually under the inner circle in the strictest sense of the word. See, the inner circle, uh, they're pathetic. And as weird as this sounds, I'm kind of with that. They keep talking about this ancient conspiracy, all these assassinations, all these things that have been done by the great ancient inner circle. And yet, if you sit back and think about the events of this game, Vlad's power move on the inner circle is so small scale that he's effectively devolved the inner circle to being a stepping stool on the way to taking control of the criminal underground of one city. Now, yeah, there's probably some connections to other seasons, but that's it. That's how pathetic the inner circle has become, which actually makes perfect sense to me. So, on the first hand, it kind of ties into the overall tone of the work, you know, the noir, gritty, life sucks kind of a thing. You know, even the great venerated inner circle is nothing more than, eh, like I already said, a stepping stone for a thug. But the other reason I like it is because, thematically speaking, it makes a weird amount of sense to me that in the more modern era, granted this isn't truly modern, but in a more modern era, ancient conspiracies are themselves outdated. That the very concepts and ideals that they once reached for and they once uh, you know, promised are just being diluted by the very nature of the civilization that they are trying to control. You know, they, they simply cannot, by the nature of the world's status actually have the same level of power they used to and the same level of influence they used to. I kind of like that idea, if I'm being honest. I suppose it kind of goes along with the concept, the, the very Tolkien-esque concept of things getting weaker over time, which exists for many reasons. I don't want to go into that tangent right now. What I do want to talk about is Vlad himself, because <sighs> Woden's barely a character in this one. Although he helps us out again, although in this case it's more for pragmatic reasons. He also has, like, the most pathetic death. What are you doing? Ugh, dead. <laughs> okay. Vlad, though, well, Vlad's weird because he's the bad guy. <laughs> now, hear me out. For all that he's presented in this game, all he ever comes across as is the bad guy which I found rather disappointing. I know what you're thinking. Lore, Lore, he's supposed to be Lucifer from Paradise Lost. He even quotes him word for word. Yeah, I know. Do you get anything else other than that comparison? <laughs> I do have to say, though, there's one bit of characterization he gets, which I'm actually amused by, and it kind of helps to show, kind of continuing that theme of petty and pathetic and, you know, gritty and horrible, it kind of helps to show how petty and pathetic Vlad himself is. We get an answering machine message, which was Woden's answering machine, from Vlad. You can never say thank you to me. You can never at any point say, Vlad, you're so amazing. Everything you touch turns to gold. Obviously, this is still the Lucifer thing, the incredibly egomaniac nature of it. But it does say something about how... Uh, God, I'm trying to think of another word other than pathetic. Let's go with small. 
It is another way to showcase how small Vlad really is. He thinks he's some big, glorious golden boy, and everything is just wonderful, and he will be able to rule on high as sultan as, as king of a junkyard. And that's it. And again, it kind of helps to emphasize that point. And you could argue there's a greater thematic significance of the fact that all these people died, including Mona and, of course, Max's own wife in the first game for nothing, for specs, arguing and bickering over bits of dirt. And that would kind of fit the overall tone, if not for the comedic side of things. But I do have to ask one last question. This is all I got left. I'm looking at my notes here. Although I do have this one note that the old lady, in, excuse me, the middle-aged lady in the apartments is actually literally more useful than the cops. Anyways, <clears throat> Mona. So Mona, of course, oh, she loves you. And because she loves you, she cannot... Okay, I can't take this seriously. <laughs> I, I, If this was a serious work, I would be complaining about this because that's not how love works. That's not even how infatuation works. But no, she decides to reach out to him, and I will be the one to save you because I have fallen so deeply in love with you over the course of the last, like, three days or whatever. Give me a break. But no, it's it's fully in keeping with the cliché. They, they even have this line, what is it, something like, you know, the bullet that was in her brain finished its slow journey or whatever. What I found amusing, though, is I, I did a little looking into it. Apparently, if you beat the game on the hardest difficulty, she's alive! Yay! And I was like, oh, that's surprising. I wonder which one's canon. So, for the heck of it, I decided to look into uh, Max Payne 3 really quick, and I didn't see even a single reference to Mona. Huh. And I suppose that's one of the things that I have to add at the end here. And that's one of the reasons why these ruminations, both Max Payne 1 and Max Payne 2, have been pretty short. Because there's only so much to say about a work that is basically one step away from a parody. Oh, don't get me wrong, I enjoyed it very much, but there's not a lot to talk about. As I've said many times, a rumination is when the mentality I have is, you know, I've got analysis mode on, I've got my notes, I've got my whole pattern of how I try to do these things. But the overall mentality, the perspective I'm trying to have is, I just finished playing such and such, and I want to go talk to my friends about it, right? Like, imagine if I had just finished this game and I went out to talk to, you know, like, three or four of my friends, and I was like, hey, and they had just finished Max Payne 2 as well, and we just started chatting about it, you know? Surely I'm not the only person who actually did this in real life. <sighs> Come on. It's going back to the Ness era at this point. So, in that case, what I'd probably be doing is being like, oh my god, it was so fun. I know, right? And we'd probably be swapping stories like the time where I died five times in a row while trying to bust through... There was this one door while I was escorting Vinny with the hat on, and I, I was I kept getting killed by this one freaking sniper rifle, or one freaking sniper, excuse me, and I died. I think it was five or six times. I don't actually remember the exact amount, but I remember it because each time when you rewound, he'd say the same voice clip. And, oh my God! You gotta. We made it, Max. We made it. We made it, Max. We made it. And it was just oh my God. But those are the kind of stories we'd be swapping because there's just not a lot to discuss here, right? And that's not necessarily bad, but it does kind of speak to the nature of the things. And you're probably wondering how I'm tying this back into the Mona thing. Well, for this kind of a thing to work, there can't be things that we would usually consider good writing. There can't be development. There can't be character arcs. There can't be, you know, world building or um, moving forward or complex themes or anything like that, right? 
I mean, you can't tell me you didn't notice that Max Payne 1, by the end of it, Max has reached, you know, peace with himself. And then Max Payne 2 starts, and Max Payne is, oh, life is horrible. Life is death. And then Max Payne 2 ends with him being at peace with himself. And then Max Payne 3 begins, and I know that it begins with him being horrible life, alcoholic death. You can't actually have a character arc when you need the status quo to exist for the very genre to be a thing, so... I enjoyed it. I actually highly recommend this game to anyone out there who wants to play it. I mean, I technically just spoiled the whole plot, but whoop-de-doo. <laughs> You're not playing this for the plot. You're playing this for the plot, if you follow me. You're playing this for the... <laughs> Either way, very enjoyable, very fun. I hope you've enjoyed. I'll see you next time.